Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. It's Kelly Moore sitting in for Hal Anderson today. And on the show, we had a chance to speak with a business owner dramatically impacted by the fire that destroyed the huge warehouse complex on Jarvis in the wee hours of this morning. With Seven Oaks converting from an ER to urgent care, we thought we'd check in with the medical director at Urgent Care Concordia to get an update on how things are going there six weeks into a similar transition. And we also had a visit from mosquito and bug expert, Dr. Stephen Schofield, who's developed some new repellent clothing to keep those blood-sucking creatures away. And now, here's the podcast. And no matter what is happening to you on this Monday, maybe you had a flat tire, driving into work, you uh, went over a speed bump, you uh, spilled some coffee on yourself, uh, maybe ketchup on a white shirt, whatever. It is not going to compare to how Monday morning started for Tara Everett, who is the owner of Canoe Working. And and first off, uh, Tara, thank you for coming down and doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, Under the circumstances, I would have understood totally if you had said, no, I just, I just, I can't. I just don't feel up to it. But maybe let's explain a little bit about, I I don't know when you got the call, uh, but how your workday week began today. Yeah, uh, I got the call at about 7.30 this morning from a really close friend and mentor of mine asking if I had seen the news and to call them immediately. And they were very gracious to tell me that uh, the warehouse that we had anticipated opening our business in was on fire. Um, I live really nearby, so within 15 minutes I was on site and even even then I knew that the building would be a complete loss. So it was... It was a, a bigger start to my day than my coffee would have been. I guess it would have been for sure. Yeah, that's the warehouse fire at 274 Jarvis that we've been reporting on throughout the day here on 680 CJOB. And, you know, it's interesting, Tara, that when we have a fire like this, you know, in our newsroom, we're, we're, we're talking about the event itself. But little do you know that once things start to unfold, how many different people were affected by this? So tell us first a little bit about your company, Canoe Working. Yeah, so Canoe Co-working. I'm sorry, Canoe Co-working. Okay. I want to get Happens it right. Happens a lot. Yeah, okay. Um, is going to be Manitoba's first Indigenous and allied co-working space. And the idea behind that is it's a collaborative workspace environment. So it's breaking the barriers, letting people either start or maintain their small businesses, have access to amenities like meeting rooms, uh, training, offices, partnerships. And it would be a first in Manitoba and the largest in the city. So it was, uh, it is going to be an amazing space once we find a yeah, new space. A new space, yeah. <laughs> and, and you were going to occupy the entire third floor or a good portion of the third floor of yeah. the warehouse? So 276 Jarvis runs the entire city block length of Jarvis down Schultz to Sutherland. And I would have been occupying what was the entire third floor of the space on Sutherland facing this, the rail yards. Yeah. And so it would have been about 20,000 square feet. 
wow, that's not uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not a little office. No, it's not a little office. It was going to be a big office for a lot of people. Yeah, and how many people are affected by this? You're the owner. Yeah, I'm, and, and so you're feeling it. But I would imagine there are a number of other people that were really looking forward to this opportunity. Yeah, it's really been building up steam recently as we've kind of selected our space and built the community around it. And really, the people at the core is uh, the small and mid-sized business owners that were looking forward to coming into a community space where they could do good work with other people and collaborate and share. So on a daily basis, we were anticipating to see anywhere between 30 to 40 people just in the co-working space alone. And then uh, if there was conferences or training or permanent tenants, then you could see that number go up. Right. Now, these are the people that uh, are, are involved in the in their various activities. And that, do you have a certain number of employees who have been affected by this as well? or No, I haven't gotten to that point yeah, quite yeah. yet, which in hindsight is a, a blessing in, dis- in disguise. But yeah. there definitely are people in the wings waiting for that opportunity to join our team that aren't going to be able to do that for quite some time. Right. How far away were you from moving into this work spot or had you already moved in? We were in the process of moving in. We got the keys not even two weeks ago to start bringing investors and designers through the space. So we would have been occupying the full space within, I'd say, three months at at the latest. Mm-hmm. So at least, I guess, another blessing yeah. in disguise is that there wasn't, I, I don't know how much office furniture and how much equipment you would have had in there. It would have been an immense amount. And I I mean, the warehouse space as, as a self was hugely open to something like a fire, but I can only imagine the damage and the impact that having a full third floor of furniture and walls and office building could have been. And imagine, I guess, or maybe thank goodness we don't have to imagine, if this had happened after you'd moved in and during the day when 40 people are there, like on the third floor, I know that, you know, there'd be safety codes and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. but with how quickly that fire spread. Yeah, that was... uh, I know I showed you a picture earlier and all there's left of the third floor is the fire escape in one corner. Yeah. And they're in the midst of tearing that all down. And so we are really blessed that nobody was inside and there was no injuries that we know of and not even for just my space, but for the other collective art spaces and the other tenants as well. It it really could have been something, uh, a much bit different story. Right. How much do you know about your neighbors? I know we're going to have... Well, I guess people who would have been your neighbors. Yeah. Uh, I know we're going to have a couple of individuals coming in after the 2.30 news uh, who were also affected by this fire, and Mm -hmm. their life has been turned upside down. Uh, Maybe if I could say even to a greater degree, because they actually had uh, part of their life's work in that building. But I I know I saw uh, it mentioned where uh, there was a a, a significant art collection that was being stored in this warehouse. Yeah, one of the tenants was able to bring together the artist community within that space. And since I was so new, I, I didn't get a chance to meet the community. But it really did feel when you collectively chose to be a part of this space that you were going to be working with a larger community within the building. And my heart goes out to the artists that lost what I can only imagine it would be short of life, life's work, tools, materials. Um, it's it's truly devastating for them, yeah, I can imagine. It's one of those things, and we're spe- if you're just joining us now, we're talking to Tara Everett. She's the owner of Canoe Co-Working. 
Thank you. Thank you, Tara. I hope that's so that the old radio host wouldn't forget it. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, sometimes we try to say, well, you know what? You can always replace this. You can always replace that, you know, but you can't replace a life, which is still true in this case. But in some instances, things are irreplaceable. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm trying to find some of the different positives we can, you know, come up with for you. But so where does this leave Canoe co-working now? And and if you don't mind, back the truck up even a little bit more. This is not the first time your business has been displaced. No, this is the second time. So we've been actively trying to find the right home for Canoe for just over two years now. And being a new business owner, it, it took a lot of work to get to where we need to be. And having the second space kind of fall out from underneath of us, quite literally, has been uh, a unique experience. Yeah. So it's it's just another another bump in the road, they was say. Was that a fire or was that some, a totally unrelated? Yeah, and if you don't, we don't need to get into the no, details. No, no, it, it was totally unrelated. There, it just wasn't a good collaboration between the space owner and myself and this space really represented the the opportunity and the hope that was to be yeah. at our, our home. Right. Yeah. So I guess the the question we ask now is is what now? And and I guess I would start with because you had twenty thousand square feet, that doesn't mean you necessarily needed all that space. Like if you uh if there are some people listening out there right now that oh I, I, I have room but I don't have twenty thousand square feet for your business, what could you get by on for what you want to do to bring it to its, you know, its full potential? Yeah, so um, we're looking, depending on how many people, a minimum of 10,000 square feet. But what was also always in the books and now is going to be our focus is having pop-up events where we can bring the community together in different local restaurants or businesses that want to host and that way we're able to still serve the community until we find our new home. Right. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, give you a lead on a new location, or they might even have a property that might be a good fit, uh, is there a, a website for Canoe Coworking that they can log on to? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, canoecoworking.ca, all one word and no hyphens. And we've got an active social media group as well, and we'd be happy to hear either uh, suggestions or hear from callers about any ideas that they may have. Tara, thank you very much for coming down and doing this. And uh, would you please, uh, when things do work out and you have that new location, would you mind getting in touch with us? Because we'd love to pass along that happy news. Be happy to. You'll be one of my first guests. <laughs> thank you, Tara. Thank you. Hey, speaking of pulling on the chain, that is what they have been doing at Concordia Hospital uh, for about six weeks uh, because uh, I believe June 3rd was the day, if I'm not mistaken, that they made the conversion uh, from ER to urgent care. And, of course, today is the first day for Seven Oaks. Uh, now, uh, Jeff Courier had someone on uh, earlier today to talk about the Seven Oaks perspective, uh, and I do believe Richard and Julie are going to be addressing that as well in their show. So I thought, you know what, I want to talk to somebody from Concordia to see how it's gone for six weeks and what words of advice they could offer possibly to their colleagues at Seven Oaks. So we talked to Dr. Tyler Laycock, who's the medical director at Urgent Care at Concordia on that subject. Yeah, uh, I mean, overall, I think it's been it's been quite positive. Uh, you know, uh, 
I think it's in for us at Concordia, it's brought some new life to our hospital as we had initially been planned to close completely. Uh, and I think it's allowed us to to support uh, just the the services that we're planning to continue on at Concordia in in a much more uh, definitive way. Um, and I think it it's allowed us to continue on to support our community that uh, in a more uh, profound way that we weren't going to uh, with the closure of the emergency department. I guess a, a two part question here. We'll start with part number one. Uh, we we've heard all kinds of stories about staff morale and that sort of thing. You've talked about breathing new life. Have you seen maybe an uptick in the morale of staff since this happened? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. It was a pretty challenging time where where people where there was a lot of uncertainty, and so I, I think now that you know there's long term plans going forward, I think people have have uh, you know embraced that and and you know definitely brought a you know a positive aspect uh, to work with with the long term plans going forward, and so I think the morale is is on the uprise definitely. And what about patient reaction? Uh- you know, have most people that have been coming to the hospital for care, Dr. Laycock, uh, uh, you know, is there still a little bit of confusion on their part as to where to go, or is that starting to settle down as well now that you're six weeks into it? Uh, I would argue that the patient or the public has, for the most part, you know, learned quite quickly that we are in urgent care. Um, and uh, I think the message has gotten out there. There's definitely been a, a change in the population, and, and some of that is is EMS directing people to the right area as well. But I think the public has gotten it. Now, having said that, we do still get people that come in with what we would consider an emergency-type uh, presentation. Um, but uh, I think the public has uh, has heard the message, I think. And patient flow is going as smooth as you could expect, or are there still areas where you uh, put your feet up at the end of the day and say, okay, we we can do this better tomorrow and next week and next month and that sort of thing? Well, I mean, this is all a fairly quick transition. And and so um, I think that I I was actually surprised at how well the flow had initially gone. and, And I think with anything that's new, I think there's definitely room for improvement. And so that's something that we're going to continue to work on and, and hopefully get people through in a, in a more uh, um, expedient way and, and in a safe way. Uh, if you were to give yourself uh, a grade right now, whether it's uh, uh, from 1 to 10 or from E to A, what kind of a mark would you give uh, the hospital right now for the job it's done with the transition, Dr. Laycock? Uh, it's hard to put a, a specific number to it, uh, you know, or letter. I, <clears throat> I mean, overall, I would say that the region, or specifically the the staffing here at Concordia, have done an amazing job. I mean, this has been going from not existing to mobilizing within you know a very short period of time to to support the community and support the hospital uh, in a way that they weren't intending to do, and so. Uh, I, I think everybody has done an amazing job, and I, I think the region, given that the the changes that came, uh, you know, fairly last minute, has done a good job in supporting us and looking at every way that they can try to support the staff. Uh, lots of hard decisions have had to been have been made recently, and so uh, they've looked to support us in in the ways that they can. So I, I would overall, I would say that 
that uh, everyone has done a, a, a very well job. So. Right. What What are some examples of those hard decisions? Are you ju- talking about just the, the transition itself? Just the transition. Okay, itself. gotcha. So just before we let you go, and I know you're really busy, so I appreciate this uh, very deeply. Uh, uh, if you were to go back to June the 3rd, which I believe was the day that you made the uh, the conversion, uh, if you were to go back to that day and what you've learned now, what kind of advice could you offer your colleague or your counterpart at Seven Oaks? You know, it's it's hard for me to speculate for them. You know, it's obviously a different hospital with a little bit of, of a different patient population. And so, I, you know, I, I think I don't have any specific advice other than, I, you know, there is a sense of, you know, disappointment I, with losing an emergency department. Having said that, I think the urgent care will allow them a great opportunity to provide, uh, you know, a support to the community uh, going forward. And, and I think that they'll they'll be surprised that of some of the potential that's there. So that is Doctor Tyler Laycock. He is the medical director at Urgent Care at Concordia Hospital. Welcome back. 28 minutes in front of 2 o'clock. Kelly Moore in for Hal Anderson. And Bruce, who emailed me. Bruce, I, Cam and I were only having fun. We both knew it was Elvis singing It's Now or Never. And I don't need help here with this one either. I know it's Chubby Checker. Okay. Uh, if you're wondering why we are playing some of these golden oldies, Cam Portress with the wattage from the cottage. Ah, what is it? Spinning the stacks and stacks of golden wax. I think that's how we used to do it. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) way back in my day. Yeah, yeah, back in your day, sure. (laughs) (laughs) 1960, we are celebrating our Winnipeg Blue Bombers 5 0 start to the season. Their first since 1960. Can they go to 6 0 Friday night in Hamilton? We'll certainly find out right here on 680 CJOB. Bob Irving will be joined in studio later tonight by Mike O'Shea for the Coach's Show starting at 7 o'clock. Right now sitting where the coach will be at 7 o'clock tonight is Dr. Stephen Schofield. Welcome to the studio. I, I, you wanted to do the twist there for a minute, didn't you? I did. I was actually going to hide my head, though, because, of course, you guys beat Ottawa, where I'm from. Last oh, week. Oh, we didn't just beat oh, Ottawa, you, you, Dr. Yes, Schofield. You, you beat Ottawa down. We I, buzzed I, I, Ottawa. You, 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 yes. Yeah, yes. We bit Ottawa yeah, hard. Yeah. It, it, yes, you did indeed. Yeah, I tried, I tried to use all the little uh, verbs that I could yes. use to, to. You sucked the blood out of Ottawa. Oh, Dr. Schofield. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to try to do that one. <laughs> Welcome to Winnipeg in all sincerity, though. Uh, Dr. Schofield is an expert on bugs and specifically. On mosquitoes. So when uh, Cam Poitras, our erstwhile and uh, outstanding content producer, was uh, approached about having you on, we jumped at it right away because we thought, man, what? who better to have in Winnipeg in July than a mosquito expert? You have to love summer and you don't have to love mosquitoes. Oh, you, seriously? Absolutely. Yeah. We can, we can do things so that mosquitoes don't bother us. Yeah. And and one of the things, I guess, one of the reasons I'm here today is to talk about 
what is effectively a a new technology for preventing mosquito bites, or at least new to Canadians in Canada against Canadian mosquitoes. And I think Winnipeggers probably know if you're few things about mosquitoes. Regrettably, yes, we do. But I I just want to back up the truck just a little bit here before we get to that and ask you uh, for an explanation on on why it has gone so well for us so far in 2019 and for the most part in 2018. As a matter of fact, I can't remember the last time I whined about mosquitoes. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Um, So I think there's a couple of things going on. Okay. Of course... You have a city that's very good at managing mosquitoes, and I think we can't forget that. But yes, we, we're good with snow and with buzzers. And yeah. with mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to mosquito populations, there's really three things that we need. It's some water, some rain, some heat, and then something to eat. Of course, that being us. And I think certainly this year, uh, up to fairly recently, it's been reasonably speaking dry and not necessarily the warmest. But now there's water. There's some warmth, so one might expect the mosquito populations to start increasing and to become more bothersome. Yeah, notice that actually even probably middle of the way through last week because we've had some of those thunderstorms now. I mean, uh, we've all been trying to uh, exercise our due diligence by, you know, finding standing water anywhere we can find it and dumping it out. But uh, that's probably not enough to win the battle, though I would think uh, when Mother Nature decides that uh, we're not going to be dry anymore. Absolutely. If you have a deluge and you have water everywhere and then you have some heat, you know, a week to two later, you're going to have yeah. your, your friends buzzing you. Absolutely. Yeah. So these new technologies that yes. you were talking about, uh, please share because I know. And, and by the way, uh, Dr. Schofield, if, if anybody wants to ask a question, whether it's by text, 204-780-6868 or by phone, are you able to? Absolutely. Okay. I'll do my best. Yeah. So if you have any questions of the doctor at all, okay, he cannot help you as far as your Lotto Max numbers are concerned. Okay. He's here simply to talk mosquitoes. 204-780-6868, though, if you do have an inquiry. Okay. So a bit about the technology. Yes. Uh, We're all used to or have heard about skin repellents. So things like uh, DEET or Cardin, those are the chemicals that work against the mosquitoes in those repellents that we put onto our skin directly. And they work actually quite well if you remember to do it and you put them on over and over again. Great, great things. And it can prevent bites. Now, what we're talking about here is actually clothing into which a different type of chemical, a different repellent has been bonded directly to the clothing fibers. And there's a couple of things about it that that are pretty cool. Firstly, it lasts for quite some time. So about 70 washes um, or a couple of seasons. So you don't have to remember to reapply the repellent all of the time. And one of the things about repellent is you put it on and then, you know, you don't want to climb into a nice clean bed or sit on someone's beautiful couch, you know, and, and leave a lasting memory. Well, not lasting, but at least a, a temporary memory that you that you were there, you know, because for the most part, the smell of bug repellent is not the nicest thing. Well, it depends on who you are. Some of us that are entomologists, of course, like the smell of bug repellent, but... Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but I must say, and, and actually, I mean, I, I'm I'm a nice smelling fella, so if you want to smell me right now, I'm wearing the clothing. I'll take your word for and, it. And no. if you smell... Oh, you're, oh, you're wearing the... I am indeed wearing a oh. shirt right now, and it's rather fashionable. Yes, uh, it is. No, it, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's called No Fly Zone Clothing. Uh, I would have, honest to goodness, I would have never guessed it. And there's yeah. not a mosquito on me. It's from Mark's, um, um, and, yeah. and it doesn't smell. It's a different kind of chemical. It actually works a little bit differently than topical repellent. You keep talking. I'm going to take a and, quick picture here. Uh, because I want to send it out uh, on social media after we're done here so people can see what this looks like. So go, go 
ahead and keep talking. So let's boss. talk a little bit about the difference between repellents in terms of you putting on your skin and, and, and this stuff. So stuff you put on your skin, it kind of interferes with the mosquito's nose. So mosquitoes, they find you from some distance away. So we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide moves away from us. Mosquitoes are hungry. They smell the carbon dioxide and they come towards us. Okay. So when they get really close, things like DEET, the typical repellents, it messes with their ability to smell. This stuff's a little bit different in that they land on you and it's kind of like a super hot Tabasco sauce for their feet. They're like, whoa, I don't like the taste of that. I don't want spicy. I just want blood. Gotcha. And so they fly off and it messes with them for a little while. So they're out of commission once they do that. So they're different approaches, different modes of action. Now, that said, they're not mutually exclusive. You absolutely can use this kind of treated clothing, this no-fly zone clothing, combined with topical repellents. And if you do that, you're going to maximize your protection against mosquitoes. Right. Now, I, with respect to DEET, you know, the deedier it is, the probably the, the better most people think. Mm-hmm. So if you're sticking, slapping on 35 deed or whatever, is that better than if you're only 17 or well, 25 or whatever the various uh, readings are? Great question. Am I allowed to say it depends? Yes, you could say it depends. So yeah. when I talk to people, yeah. um, one of the things I say is use, for example, the repellent that you're going to use, okay. the repellent that you like the feel of, the repellent that you like the smell of, because if it's in your backpack or your pocket and it's not on your skin, it yeah. ain't working. It doesn't matter that it's 35%. Right. If it's not on your skin, it's not working. So number one, pick something that works, right? Uh, number two, it's absolutely the case that repellents with higher concentrations will last a little bit longer, maybe a lot longer in certain circumstances. So certainly there can be advantages to those repellents, as long as you like to use them and you use them. Right. Yeah. Now, I would say one more thing. There's a couple of repellents on the market now. Uh, so we talk about DEET all the time, but there's something else called a cardin, and it works very well as well, and it has a slightly different smell than DEET. So if people don't like the smell of DEET, maybe they pick a cardin as an example. Okay. So there's lots of things out there that you can use, yeah. uh, including this treated clothing, which is which is pretty cool. I'm going to ask you about the clothing in a second here. I do have a test, uh, text Question though, at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, can mosquito uh, can mosquitoes also see you by your body heat? Oh, great question! Um, absolutely, mosquitoes use thermal cues when they get close to you. So they have the same kind of senses that we have, right? They have eyes. Mm-hmm. They don't work nearly as well as ours do, and they work differently than ours do. Uh, they're very good at picking up sort of bulky things and navigating in low light conditions. So they see well in the dark, and when they get very close to you, they'll start picking up thermal cues that say, hey, something's warm here. Maybe you want to feed upon it. So absolutely that is the case. Okay. So uh, now this question wasn't phoned in or texted in, but uh, we can go outside. And when I say we, I'm talking about my wife and I. And I actually, there's a lot of times I'll go sit outside and she'll have been doing something. And she'll say, how are the mosquitoes? Haven't had a one. She comes out and I swear on a stack of Bibles within <laughs> five seconds, you said there were no mosquitoes. Firstly, it's good to be you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not I'm, good I'm to reminded be your, of that <laughs> all, the all the time. time yeah. So there's a couple of things probably that are going on there, and, and one of which is mosquitoes are attracted at different rates to different people. Right. Um, but some of that has to do with how much carbon dioxide we put out. So if you're a bigger person and you put out more carbon dioxide, then more mosquitoes will come to your vicinity. Okay. Yeah. Now, once they get there, they might be smelling different things, or it might be yeah. heat. It matters. But even more importantly, one of the big differences, I think, is is one's tolerance of mosquitoes. So, for example, a mosquito bites you, it spits into you. And depending on how your immune system reacts to that spit, 
you may be itchy or not. So you might be bitten five times and never notice it because you simply don't itch. Whereas your wife yeah. balloons. And so she notices it. So it's probably a little bit about how many come to you and a little bit about how you react to the actual mosquito bite. Gotcha. Okay. I was going to keep you for both segments here, but I know you do have another commitment here. So I'll just keep you a little bit longer for this first one. Let's talk a little bit about this clothing okay. very quickly, Dr. Schofield. Uh, uh, how long did it take you to come up with this uh, recipe, for want of a better term, uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, first off, A, de- devise the clothing, but B, make sure that it, it would work. So we can actually thank militaries, first of all, for the development of this clothing. Uh, they've been using it for about 10 years. Okay. Uh, all, all, all around the world? Well, or? the United States, Canada, European, Australian, British. Okay. So most of the places um, where we're many, going to go. Many, many of our partner countries were, yeah. were use this type of clothing. And so... Indeed, about 10 years ago, uh, I guess Mark saw this as an opportunity to bring something to Canada that was new f- uh, to Canadians for use uh, by Canadians. And they went through the process to have it approved by Health Canada. Uh, and that process takes some time. Now, the upshot of that is, is that it's got a very good safety profile. Uh, so now we have something new that's approved by Health Canada for, for use to right. prevent mosquito bites, which yeah. is pretty cool. Now, and uh, there's no other way to ask this question, but normally when it's specialized clothing, you have to pay for that specialty. Is it quite a bit more than what you would pay for a regular type of uh, sports shirt? Well, I'm wearing one now and it looks very fine. So what I would say is it's comparable, cost comparable to a typical outdoorsy shirt. Okay. Uh, Only... Yeah, yeah. permethrin is, so it prevents mosquito bites. So that's that, yeah. that's you know the added bonus of this clothing. Right. Now, you're wearing a short sleeve shirt. I am. What are you going to do about your arms, Dr. Schofield? Well, that is an excellent question. So it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, and that is, uh, for example, one psychological tolerance of mosquito bites. I've been in the field a lot. I've been bitten by a lot of mosquitoes. They don't bother me all that much. Right. And so this clothing, for example, that I'm wearing would prevent most mosquitoes from biting me. A few might slip through, but they wouldn't bother me. Right. Uh, if, by contrast, I have someone who is very susceptible, take your wife for an example, I'd yeah. probably use this clothing, and if I had some exposed skin, I might add topical repellent. So what we'd yeah. actually suggest is that, depending on your own tolerance, is you layer uh, these yeah. uh, different types of protection. So even if you were just wearing that shirt, it might not be enough to protect the exposed skin then? Absolutely. You know, it, it depends on the individual. So yeah. it, it's going yeah. to provide some protection, absolutely, yeah. but you might want some more protection or you might wear a long sleeve shirt, right, yeah. uh, as, as the case may be. Um, I'd also say this stuff is probably pretty good. This treated clothing, this no-fly zone clothing, in addition to repellents, would be great for travelers. So if you're going south in the winter. Yes. And now we're talking diseases. Yeah. And now what we'd actually recommend, absolutely, is that you use both modalities to pr- protect yourself because you want to maximize protections in the situation where you have diseases as a concern. Right. Yeah. And as you were mentioning to me, and I think I'm okay to say this, uh, uh, mosquitoes might be the biggest pain in the rear here in Canada, but yet when it comes to danger level, you just talked about yeah. diseases we really don't have a whole lot to whine about, do we? No, we're pretty lucky. I mean, yeah. absolutely, we have West Nile virus and a few other things. Yes, yeah. we, we have can't lo- forget about it entirely. And, and yeah. Lyme disease a little bit, but we're not talking malaria in other countries. So we have all kinds of nuisance mosquito. They drive us crazy. They, they send us indoors, but they're not giving us diseases. Yeah. If we go to other countries and we're worried about Zika, we're worried about dengue, we're worried about malaria and, and diseases that can make us really, really ill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eve uh, just texted in, so if those little bloodsuckers can see my body heat, that's probably why I attract them so much. Uh, and Jacob says, years ago when I worked in the bush, we used Repex or Repex, R-E-P-E-X, 
as a repellent. That stuff was so strong, it ate your sunglasses. <laughs> so, so, so I think, I, I don't know the brand name, but what yeah. I speculate is he's talking about DEET back when DEET was it about was, 95%. Yeah. And it was, interestingly enough, that was quite reasonably safe for human use. Seriously? Absolutely. It, it would eat your, well, mind you, we drink Coke and we yeah, see what that and, does to us. And we're not made of plastic. Um, no, true so, enough. So, yeah. so, true so, enough. so yeah. but uh, recently, probably that wouldn't be an issue. Now, the top concentration of DEET in, in repellents is about 30%. Just before we let you go here, are, are these clothes, are, are they available in all sizes? and uh, So all adult it? sizes, all adult shapes, uh, yeah. different colors. And nothing um, for kids yet on the market? Mark's actually doesn't sell clothing for, 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 for kids. children. Okay, so. yeah. 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 Yes. But at, at some point, could you see developing that for kids? Well, or? I certainly think it would be reasonable for someone to look at clothing for children because they're bitten by mosquitoes as well. And of course, when they travel, we're concerned yeah. about diseases. So... In the future, one is hopeful that this kind of clothing will become available for children. It's actually available for children in the United States right now. Dr. Schofield, thanks a bunch for this. I really appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, I I, uh, I would love to keep you longer, but I do know that you have other commitments. So we don't want to uh, we don't want someone else in our industry saying it's worse than mosquitoes. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Schofield, uh, Dr. Stephen Schofield, who is a renowned expert on bugs. Uh, by the way, do you have a? Uh, is there any kind of a website, or is there any kind of way people can? learn more and find out more about you if they uh, if, if they if they have more questions well they could ask my wife monica she's she she has much to say about me but i don't actually have a, a yeah. w- website per se wow yeah. congratulations <laughs> i've met somebody that doesn't have a website or a blog <laughs> Woo! <laughs> hal anderson afternoons the podcast is available on apple Podcasts, google podcast and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts